eight years ago, it wasn't cool. Nobody wanted to do AI in education mm. and it was very much like scary. So it was a very challenging environment. Nonetheless, it was the right technology for what we were trying to achieve. So we knew we had to invest. Welcome back to Wise On Air, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds on the future of education. My name is Basim, producer of the show. As AI advances at a rapid clip, all eyes are on the technology and its creators, but even some of its pioneers are raising concerns. Now, we've spoken to CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, in a previous episode on his outlook for the technology. And now Jeffrey Hinton, known as the godfather of AI, recently made waves when he quit Google and warned about growing dangers in the field. Now, in this interview, interview with the BBC, Hinton said AI chatbots like ChatGPT and Google Bard could soon eclipse humans in general knowledge. He warned those systems may create sub-goals like I need to get more power if put in the wrong hands. Hinton joins other experts calling for a pause on advanced AI to implement safety measures, but he also acknowledges the benefits, saying in the shorter term, he believes AI would deliver many more benefits than risks. While clearly even creators themselves have not been immune to the shock of rapid advancement in this technology, Hinton's comments highlight the debates swirling around AI, its immense potential, but also risks if not developed responsibly. And on this podcast, we continue to delve deeper, searching for answers on what this entails for the future of our education systems. What are your thoughts on Hinton's comments? Let us know by reaching out to us on our social media channels through the links in the description. To unpack how AI is already changing industries, wise director and host of this episode, Elias Fulfoul, spoke with Chibeza Agli, co-founder and CEO of Obrism, a company using AI to revolutionize corporate training and learning. Obrism is also one of our esteemed WISE EdTech Accelerator cohort members and have been partners with us for a very long time. Chibeza has been working with AI for over a decade. In this episode, he shares his insider's perspective on this AI revolution. So let's jump to Elias and Chibeza to kick off the conversation. Morning. You've been you've been a friend of Wise for many years. Actually, you you joined the accelerator from the very early years. You started your company in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And I'm actually very curious to understand. You were a PhD student, or you were pursuing your study at Cambridge, and then you saw the light and say, "Okay, I want to move and and create my company." So get, get get us into the journey. Of yeah, the, the journey. The journey. It was an interesting journey. It wasn't necessarily linear, which is like all good things. They, you know, sometimes they take a bit of a roundabout route to get to the good endpoint. I actually did my PhD in King's College in London, and then I came up to Cambridge for my postdoc. So postdoctoral training is after your if you finish your PhD, and then before you go on to become a professor, you often do this postdoctoral position. And so I was researching at the Cambridge Stem Cell Institute in stem cell biology. So you were researching physiology and adult stem cell biology. My, my PhD at King's was adult stem cell biology for yeah. muscles. So specifically taking the stem cells that uh, regenerate your muscles. When you get injured or you do exercise, I'm really understanding how we regenerate our muscles. And they, these are amazing stem cells, but we won't go into all of that now. Then I was interested in what makes a stem cell a stem cell. And adult stem cells are a little bit different to other forms of stem cell. And so I wanted to know what, what are the stem cells that make us, you know, the pluripotent stem cells. And there was this great research going on in Cambridge. So that's really what drew me over to Cambridge, the understanding of going deeper and deeper and deeper. So it really started out in science because I had an interest in sport. 
And then you start to follow that down into deeper and deeper layers. So I get to Cambridge, working at the Stem Cell Institute and really trying to unravel Mother Nature, really, trying to figure, <laughs> out, figure out how it all works. And that's really where I started getting into genetics, big data, uh, and using all of the cutting-edge tools that scientists have at their disposal these days. And during that process, I started wondering, how is it that we've got access to this incredible technology but people in the general public don't really know what's possible today. Yeah. And there was a gap in understanding and knowledge between what I knew working at the cutting edge was possible and what society knew yeah. was possible. And I was really worried that it was going to take 10, 20 years to get some of this really uh, amazing technology into the hands of people. And it, that's what started me thinking. It's not just technology. It's also the know-how. Mm. It's the knowledge. It's the skills to implement uh, things in society. So the company that we started at the time was Cambio Science initially, um, and it was focused on closing that knowledge gap in the life science and healthcare sector. Um, and then as you, as you go forward, as you take the route, you realize, hey, hold on a minute, this know-how gap, uh, this knowledge know-how gap is actually not just in life sciences and healthcare, mm. it's everywhere. And that's when a brism was really born and the knowledge that this is a ubiquitous problem. Were you dreaming of something like this when you were a kid? Can you, can you recall anything in your youth about being connected to science, to, to entrepreneurship? De definitely. There's always been a connection to science and technology. I think I, I, we found one of my old reports when I was you know, a child, and it wrote in there, one day I will be a scientist. And really, I think of myself as an inventor more than anything. You know, when I self-reflect on what makes me me, what makes me get up and go in the morning. I love inventing things. Mm. And science gave me that. But you realize you can do it in business. And I love putting things together to create something novel that's useful. And that's really what gets me excited. That is fantastic to be able to remember, you know, some of the thing we had in our youth that probably was a catalyst. And then you get to an adult life and you're just trying to search, okay, do I really want to think I, I can add value to the, to the society? And it's very much linked to the early years. Yeah, you're right. There's a thread that makes us us. And you, you look backwards, you can connect all the dots. And Steve Jobs was great at saying this stuff. But it's clear once you've gone and, and uh, about your life, how the stars have aligned <laughs> somehow along the way. And the things that make you special, the things that motivate you and interest you, often help you throughout your life. And I've always been quite a detail-oriented person who, who needs to really get things done to the extent that I'm happy with. Mm. And that has also really helped me. As well. I, I love this part of understanding how you decided to pursue this field in a way. And I, I always wonder how much the balance between serendipities versus control over the pathway. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this. <laughs> and I was thinking about this quite a lot, actually. Recently, when I was opening up and the application letters that I wrote for various in different parts of my life, there's all these other routes that I could have gone But in the end, you know, I think the route that I'm on now is the perfect one for me, is the right one for me. So it, there is a balance. Uh, yeah. And if we zoom in a little bit more into this transition from an academic, a researcher, a scientist to the innovator, the entrepreneurs, can you share to the audience that journey? What are some of the defining moments along the way? You could have... You could have easily just became a chair of, of an important you know, department at, at Cambridge and, and yet, yet you took 
a harder way. Yeah. Potentially much more rewarding, yeah. but it's a harder way. Yeah, I think making the transition was difficult um, because you're living, you're kind of in two camps at the same time. I was finishing off my work in science, yet having to try to establish a new business. And these are full-time jobs in themselves, and you're combining all of that on top of your personal life, and it becomes extremely busy. So you have to be really laser-focused on which is the killer task, the killer things that you have to do or at any one time in order to, to move things forwards. Yeah. And you will find yourself tra- using the skill sets that you immediately have at your disposal and applying those across. And then the skill sets change as you grow and develop. But some of the things that you need to be great in science or good in science, I should say, organization, <laughs> commitment, resilience, you know, starting your day, 6 a.m. finishing your day yeah. at midnight on staying till 2 or yeah. 3 to get the job done. A lot of people don't realize how hard scientists work and it's just natural to them. And, and I think that we applied that across and that was a really useful kind of capability, if you like, that me and my co-founders brought to the table when we started the business. So that made the transition slightly easier in that the level of work required was already there. Since you mentioned about the co-founder, I felt in your tonation it was a pivotal moment. So the process of finding the co-founders, mm. I think it's critical for the yeah. success of a company. You're the founder, right? You were in the process of trying to find who's going to complement. Yeah, exactly. So, what's that process and what's the journey like and how important is to get yeah. the right co-founder? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's everything. You know, like I think the first thing is realizing that Trying to do everything on your own is probably a bad idea. Because in, some, in many cases, right? Yeah. Trying to do everything completely by yourself. So, you know, and looking for complementary skill sets and also energy, right, that other people can bring to the battle. And I think I knew, I respected that I wanted people that were going to bring that energy. And I find myself motivated by social interactions, by getting excited about ideas with other people. And that motivates me also being accountable to others motivates me so therefore the right co-founders I, th- I felt were going to help get this business to where it needed to be this idea this business and then I met Dr. Sara Churi and Dr. Jürgen Fink at that time Jürgen hadn't yet even finished his PhD but they were in my local environment they were yeah. both working yeah. at the Stem Cell Institute and both amazing for different reasons so you take Jürgen for example extremely regimented on it incredible scientist yeah. everybody knew he was excellent at his work yeah. And I just thought, you know, when you look around, I want to work with the very best. And he's clearly one of the very best. How you convinced him if they are the best and they have options. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think it's, you know, you convey your passion and belief. Mm. And they have to also believe that you are excellent, yeah. right? Yeah. So they have to see something in you as yeah. well. And if you both see something in each other, you can skip uh, a few steps. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you just have to define the route forward and, and commit. And they both did that. Again, Sarah's side was problem solving. So she, she was never scared of, of a problem. You'd find something extremely difficult or challenging and everyone else would be like, oh no, this is awful. I hate this. Her mind be is like coming not, up with yeah. solutions and yeah. enjoying it, enjoying yeah. it. So it was like, there's just no fear of the issue or the problem. And those two things together and many other skill sets have been invaluable over the years. They, they were complementing some of the weaknesses you, you obviously have. But that's the strength of a team, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also yeah. a good leader. What yeah. is a good leader? Yeah. In my view, I mean, in my view, a good leader knows his strength and yeah, weaknesses. Absolutely. And 
and he will f- go and, and, and look for, I don't know, who's going to fill this gap? Absolutely. Yeah. It's complementary skill sets and, yeah, realizing what others are good at and the bits that you realize that you can bring to the table and do really well and let other people be awesome at what they are excellent yeah. at. There's a certain humility that if you want to lead people, you just have to do. You have to learn that. It's very helpful to be humble in what you're you're able to achieve by yourself and what you might be able to achieve with with others. Yeah, and I've had no issue with that. So you you were not working directly with them initially. They were in your environment. You knew who they are, but you you kind of never collaborated. But you just knew. You know, we collaborate little bits and pieces because in science it's quite an individual. Mm. Sometimes it's quite individual world. Although you have research groups. And Sarah was part of one of the research groups that I was working with, and Jürgen was a different one. Everyone has their own project. So you're very yeah. kind of building, building a business in a way. Yeah. You're building a business case for this thing that you need to prove, and it becomes really uh, kind of your own thing. So we were in the vicinity, but we're not directly working on exactly the same products. What I like from your journey, and I, I call you Beza as a, as a friend, so for the audience... Beza for friends. <laughs> the full name is Shibeza. <laughs> what I love from your journey is, in my view, you're not a typical entrepreneur mm-hmm. in the sense of you're not a dropout. You know, you're, you're, you went from an academic to entrepreneurship. And, and I really want to focus on that because it, it pro- probably comes with a different approach to a trip mm-hmm. or not. I, I'm, the question is how the academic to entrepreneurship and what is the different approach? Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, you know, we were speaking yesterday in one of the sessions about this idea of that kind of typecast, I call it being typecast with, with what you do. And when we first started the company, a lot of people were like, scientists can't do business. Uh, and I found it absolutely crazy. I wanted to scream with, uh, this is crazy. This was a prevailing idea. You'd come up to pitch something, uh, but you're a scientist, so why don't you go and get a business person or something mm. like that? It was infuriating, but it really lit the fire. Okay, we're like, okay, well, let's prove it to you. Let's show you how we can do business. Because I think it's entrepreneurship, science, it's just another thing to be solved, right? And, and you use Composer to solve that. I felt I've always been quite, nat- I had a natural business acumen. Mm. I like mm. finding good products and talking about them and convincing people that this is a great thing you need to pay attention to. So I've always enjoyed, you know, speaking about new things and, and telling stories that, that uh, get people excited, but with substance attached to them. And and that's no different in science to, to business. So I think there's a lot of cross-fertilization of skills and, and applicability of skills that people underestimate. And I encourage people to look at science, look at people in science, look at people in design, look at people across any career, and they'll have unique skill sets that yeah. can be brought to the table in other, in other fields. But you didn't feel the need to upskill in specifically in business. So you had a bit of a natural aspiration for that our upskilling in in our business was very much doing it honestly it was just yeah. doing just yeah. do it yeah. learn learn by <laughs> doing learn by doing it was the first thing when we when we really set things up we said this is not a society it's not a student society we're doing business so let's get that one on the table yeah. we're gonna just do this now yeah <laughs> and you do learn very very quickly through seeing what feedback you get have an idea get the back of the envelope is this viable yeah you know test it Go and test, and this is coming from a researcher because we like to research, but a lot of research is actually testing. It is actually testing, and the data you get back will tell you which pathway to choose, and it's 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 data driven, right? And through that, can biosciences and then into a prism has taken so many different mini pivots. 
to get to an understanding of where we are today. Hmm. That has been so useful in shaping the company and, you know, the kind of bets we want to make as, as a business and the value that we know that we can bring hmm. to our customers consumers and, and ultimately everyone in the business. So almost 10 years now with the prison. Almost, eight years. Eight, eight years. Eight so years, 20, yeah. 2015, 2023, 2024. Let's delve into the work of a prism yeah. and explain what the prism does, how it, is, how it utilizes AI yeah. in its operation. Uh, we've always been a technology company. So talking, uh, I link this into the entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial journey because when we first started, we had to generate money doing knowledge brokerage, kind of solving this knowledge gap in more of a manual way. So we were going out there curating knowledge ourselves, trying to personalize the flow of information. And we realized that it just wasn't going to scale. Mm. So we had the pains that our customers have in trying to read all of these documents, curate information, create assessments, mm. measuring things. It was very manual and it wasn't going to scale to the whole world. I think one of the things that we did well was we started investing in technology with the, our own money, if you mm. like. So you've got these scientists who have made revenue, you know, modest salaries, we'd made all this revenue. And one of the things that I, I said was we're not touching a penny. We didn't take any money personally from the business. We reinvested everything into technology. Wow. And that was, you know, about a year in, year and a half in, we started doing R&D funding. Considering the budgets that you have in science or other things, the things you see today, you might think that's crazy to try to do deep tech R&D in AI at that time, mm. with, with investing initially hundreds of thousands, not the billions that you put in today. But we had time, we had ambition, and we felt that we could solve these problems. So we invested in technology very, very early. The first employees in our company mm. were heads of AI. Yeah. We were in this field from the absolute outset, and we were doing our own um, grassroots R&D. So Abrism today has benefited from all that. And one of the things that we realized, one of the gaps that we saw was that people weren't analyzing content basically. They were letting the human being make all of the decisions on the, the learning process and what content should be in there. And they weren't getting any data from those experiences. If they were talking about personalized learning and other things, it was always downstream mm. once the humans set everything up. So we decided to think about that a bit and do deep, rich content analytics as a starting point, create a full understanding of what's in there, map everything, analyze it, measure it, and then use that to form our kind of structure, our trellis, if you like, for, for personalized learning down, down the way. So what that means is you can feed a prism with information. You can feed a prism with videos, podcasts, even virtual and, and reality. this is all publicly available, right? We work a lot with corporates, so yeah. large organizations. So they... they so allows you to access so it. They yeah. have their own setup of a yeah. prism. So yeah. it's, all, it's their prism, if you like. Yeah. Uh, it's their solution, yeah. or a white label solution. They can feed it with whichever content that they want. Yeah. Um, and that can be fantastic, premium grade, client facing, studio quality media created by us or, or by them. Or it can be their PDF documents, their video documents, mm. their screen recordings, mm -hmm. uh, their training sessions. And a prism will analyze all of that information. And it will watch all the videos, it will read all the documents, it will answer all the questions, yeah. it will understand the nature and depth of the concepts that live within that content and give you your map, give you the world of possibilities. And that map's not static. Mm. So most of education today is pretty static. Mm. A prism can morph, it can change depending on the environment. You can map it, it can remap. And then you've got your starting point. And that's step one. All of that is artificial intelligence. 
And then you've got the navigation part of what we do. So once you've got your amazing map, then it's about personalized learning, mm. adaptive learning, and not in the sense of pathways, but how can I really get you to the right piece of content mm. at the right time based on what you need to know and what you already know. So I need to measure you. I need to see where you're at. Mm. And then I need to use that data to update my predictions about where you belong in that wow. space. And that process is creating lots and lots of data that we can then use to make great quality uh, predictions and do uh, really, really cool insights for you and for the organization. That That is fantastic. So I, I do understand that Obesium Foundation has largely been built on AR research, mm. right? Now everyone talking about AI, right? But yeah. obviously this started in the 60s and, mm-hmm. and more, more importantly, you know, a lot of your company like yours started doing work 10 years ago. So what, what made you see the value of this technology early on? Yeah, I think the great thing is artificial intelligence is really the name AI. What it means is that you are trying to replicate what a human, replicate the capabilities of a human. And that's what separates AI from machine learning. Mm. Because all AI is machine learning, but not all machine learning is AI. AI. We knew the only way that we're going to be able to do all of these things that we are manually doing as humans is through a technology like AI. Mm. So for us, it was just... It's the right tool. Mm. It wasn't because it was cool. Because eight years ago, it wasn't cool. Mm. Nobody wanted to to do AI in education. Mm. And it was very much like scary, really scary. There was a much heavier kind of perception of AI at the time. A difficult thing. Uh, Is it related to data? I think it was a fear from the education sector. It was mainly driven by fear within the sector and, and corporates were not ready because yeah. the digital transformation they were yeah. talking about it but it was a future yeah. thing yeah and they didn't need to worry about that right yeah. now so it was a very challenging environment but nonetheless it was the right technology for what we were trying to achieve couldn't have really been done mm. another way mm. so we knew we had to invest and, and yesterday when we were having lunch we mentioned the winter the ai win- winter yeah 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 that, that's a pivot an important historical moment because AI technology started kind of the first experimentation started many years. I mean this isn't the first time AI has been with us there's been many cycles of of AI coming up disappearing coming AI winter when you know the famous Dartmouth conference where you know they were very convinced that they were going to be able to have it completely cracked in a, a couple of years time because everything's codified so what if everything's codified then we should be able to to essentially crack human intelligence in a few mm. years. And of course, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. And then people, AI became a kind of a, a, a scary word. Don't use the word AI. Machine learning came back and, and other things happened. And, and that was the AI winter. It was a time when people really were not looking at, didn't really want to be involved in yeah. AI. Is it, is it scary because some people associate it to be closer to, for example, how the brain function? I, I, and, and I know we're not close because... It's so much more complex. Yeah. To, to, one of the things I, I don't even know. I, what I, so what's the percentage of our knowledge when it comes to knowing how our brain functions? For my, from my opinion, I mean, I, I've had the pleasure of, of seeing uh, what the scientists get up to. I, yeah. was, I was there doing, you know, doing all these tools. It's remarkable how little we know. Mm. about the brain really um five percent ten percent i don't i wouldn't we we, we cannot we cannot even i wouldn't want to put a number there's and there is great strides forward happening all the time with with the tools that we have available now things are really picking up pace and there's some exciting developments but that notwithstanding 
it is just the biggest area that's undiscovered for us really about how it really how it really works how do we really produce this computation that we've got the capabilities that we have and it's not going to be exactly the same as what we see in deep neural networks it's just not there's going to be some comparable similarities to the output but there's Something else is going on. I want to have your thought on on some of the impact with the work you have, you're doing with Obrisium. And if you can provide some examples of how AI is instrumental in addressing challenges. You know, we've kind of been thinking a lot about what we're bringing to the table as a company, not just for ourselves, but for our customers and Mm. solving problems, addressing real issues and challenges that are out there. And we really focus on Abrism, actually, if you take the name Abrism, it's Latin, it's Latin for pure gold. But in Roman times, it became synonymous with assessment because of the way in which gold was tested. So Abrism is, it means assayed and tested. Mm. And we love that because it's, it's all about measurement and testing. And it was because of the way gold was tested in the time, in, in those days, by putting it into fire, you know. And the more you put gold into fire, the more you test gold, the better it gets. Whereas lesser metals, you know, you can just melt away and you can see them for what they are. Gold is better and better and better the more you test it and measure it. And so for us, because we collect, we're all about collecting data throughout the process, not just summative Mm. processes at the end, collecting data as people are developing and using that data then to to help navigate individuals through Mm. personalized experiences that are really personalized for them. So that's that's what gets us excited. It's the measurement bit. That, that people weren't doing good quality measurement with good quality data. Mm. You know, our mission is to become uh, the world leader in the measurement and optimization of human knowledge transfer in digital environments. Wow. And we really feel that there's a gap there that we could fill. Yeah. We're thinking about, we care about getting that great quality measurement, quantifying things and then proving it. So when we go into organizations, what problems are we solving? You and I are busy, right? We don't have time mm. to read and review mm. absolutely everything uh, that we, wa- we might want to work with and decide whether it's going to be useful for us in different contexts. With AI, that can be done in seconds sometimes. Oh, yeah. We can read whole libraries of content. And if we know what we're looking for, we can get it, get it immediately. <clears throat> so being able to help give insights immediately on content bases and cu- take that curation and manual labeling away from people it saves a tremendous amount of time tremendous amount of time and time is money especially in business yeah uh, and other contexts so we are giving back money we're saving money uh, straight away yeah and then one of the other things is we want to make sure that people are able to get to where they cover more ground in less time because the content bases in the world today is expanding information is expanding and the pace of change of information is accelerating yeah so we made a bet we're quite strong on saying that traditional linear models of module one module two module three module four are gonna we can believe wholeheartedly it's gonna collapse because there's only so many courses that one could do in a week and if everything's going like that i'm never gonna carry it if i do it linearly i am never going to get there so we're gonna run out you know we need a different way of thinking about it so it needs to be more atomic it needs to be more predictive i need to be able to make jumps i have to yeah. Otherwise, I won't cover the ground. Changing that model so that we're able to do that. So we measure things like speed to competency or speed to certification, depending on what the, what the that process is. So if the organisation or the manager can think about a level that they are that's acceptable mm. across the concepts mm. and areas that they want to mm. train people in, 
and then we get them there as quickly as possible using AI, Fantastic. using predictive modeling. So we, we get them there as quickly as we possibly can. And the cool thing about Abrism is that you can't guess, game or cheat the system. Mm. You really have to know uh, what you're doing in order to progress. Is that you guarantee that? We, we really thought um, about uh, really cool ways of, of teasing that out of the data because we weren't just thinking about um, producing a cool tech product. We're thinking about the data. And because we did that, we get results like this, where now, if you come into a prison, if you are already good, we'll tell you you're already good and we can get you to where you mm. need to be. You just need to prove it. Mm. Off you go. Mm. If you're not and you're struggling, we're going to help dropping you down to lower levels of complexity in that space, give you the information you need to build your understanding mm. more efficiently, measuring you. Yeah, you're good. Right, let's go. And if you start trying to guess game or cheat, your points just fall off the cliff. And we know exactly when, where, and why it happened. So we've got the diagnostic capability within those spaces that others just don't have. So I find it really exciting to sell a Brism, to talk about a Brism, yeah. because we've got the data to prove it works. Yeah. And, and that is just, it changes the way you have conversations with clients and partners. And you can do this across a diversity of sectors. Yes. That, that, but you go back to the research, what were the bits, of the really big bits that we did crack with our budgets and our minds right at the start is to thinking about solving the problem. So, of course, you initially start saying, oh, I need to have something that's completely trained only on this sector and keep doubling down, doubling down. But we were looking for those commonalities across mm. what happens when we, we're trying different things. And at some point we were like, that looks good. Oh, let's try it. That looks good. Mm. Try it in another sector. Mm. Oh, we've done it. <laughs> so we found that uh, we created an environment where we could do sector agnostic, subject agnostic, and level agnostic analysis that was useful. And the key thing is, as long as it's useful to a human being, it's valuable to them, and yeah. this takes all that, the, the time away from them, yeah. then you've done it. And through a bit of luck, trying a thousand different things in lots of different configurations, we were able to achieve that. And so now we have clients that cross all sorts of different subject areas, but we're bringing similar value to them. So we're saving them time. We're giving them much better quality data mm. and insights. Mm. We're delivering efficiency mm. in learning, training and assessment. Mm. And who doesn't want better quality analytics and insights right, that are going to yeah. tell you and diagnostic capability to yeah. know why something happened. We recently had the pleasure of hosting Sam Altman in Doha in Qatar while he was doing his world tour. And obviously, I couldn't hold myself of asking you a question about since he's one of the important figure of this field. And also because whatever he's working on with OpenAI and ChatGPT has really, really captured people's curiosity and imagination. So you've been working in this field for 10 years. Nobody was talking about it. Yeah. I mean, you, you guys know from inside. But, but now, simple things from what you've been working on is out mm. and people are using it. And it's capturing absolutely people's curiosity and imagination. So when he came to Doha, we spoke to him. I'm still trying to digest yes. that experience because, again, I like the fact that he's going around the world raising awareness. Yeah. But I still don't understand you yeah. know, some of the balance between the regulation he's asking for versus where the technology is. So he claimed some very strong claims. And I just want to pick your brain on, on them. He made a parallel between the invention of the calculator and the fact that that got us to get to study more calculus and that basically brought up our productivity, I think, 3x. Mm. And 
he believed that with the current tools of OpenAI or and others, we might get productivity 20, 30x. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, this, this is what's different this time around, right? Is that everyone was ready to receive this time around. Yeah. It was a different mentality around technology. I'm very pragmatic about the way I think about things. If people are finding it valuable, then it's valuable, you know, and people are using this technology, they're enjoying using aspects of it. There's value there. And if there's value there, there's business and market there, opportunity there, and there's some good to be done, right? And there's there's benefits to the world. So it's exciting to see that this technology is already delivering value to humans, right? Mm. And there's a long way to still to go. We're still relatively early. At the beginning of yeah, we're at the beginning in, in, of this process, of this new kind of, this new charge, if you like. Today, if people are talking about AI, they're really talking about generative AI and, mm. and the work of companies like OpenAI. So they've done really well to achieve what they have in the time that they have. Yeah. And to iterate, it's, it's a fantastic con- combination of technology and business operating yeah. together. So I think it's an exciting time. There will be issues that we need to face, but obviously Sam Allman is already calling out mm. some of these challenges. Mm. There's potential for people to use this technology in a way that perhaps wasn't intended by the inventors. Mm. And there could be uh, significant harm unless we really put the right kind of guardrails and safeguards in place. And I'm a big fan. I mean, the, the harm is, I mean we're looking uh, at a pandemic level or, yeah. or nuclear war. We're not talking about frauding this and that. This is existential for humanity, at sure least the way they put it. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure about where, where the end point is for how bad it could all get, right? I mean, I think I'd like to start by just being pragmatic, sensible. What can we start doing now uh, to, to ring fence the bits that we need to mm. protect uh, the users that are, are engaging with this technology. So I think we really do need to think long and hard. Regulation is a good idea yeah. uh, in yeah. some of these things. It's yeah. just a good idea. Um, and it doesn't have to inhibit. Uh, if it's done correctly, it doesn't have to inhibit innovation. It, it, it should uh, empower innovation, mm. in my view, actually, because the people that are inventing will do so uh, in, in the view of humanity. All right. Mm. So... I think just those things in mind. Uh, we're certainly, we've always been excited about using transformer-based technologies. It's something that we've been researching and playing with for a long time. And uh, again, w- the way we think about AI is right tool for the right job. Yeah. So often people ask me, what AI do you use in a prism? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what part of a prism is a, is a question. You know, we ha- is it when we're creating spaces? Okay, we use one form here. What about navigating? Uh, we choose specific forms. Because we want auditability. We want some explainability when we're taking you through different journeys. And what about computer vision or analytics? We can use the right tool for the right job at the right time. And we can invent with those tools. Open AI, generative AI, and all of the other language models are tools in the arsenal to be used correctly and to be invented with. Yeah. To be invented with. It doesn't stop here. And yeah. I don't think it should. Again, some of the great discussions we're having with the rest of the WISE cohort members and uh, the session yesterday... My worry was that people are going to just lean in and just stop inventing yeah. because yeah. You know, they will think, oh, well, it's already there now. No. Why would I invent? And then everyone's got the same features, the same technology, doing the same things. And that will never happen for us. We will keep inventing. We'll keep being great. I'm in agreement with you on this because we're all unique and different. So even the way we're going to invent is going to be very much unique to us and our creativity. And this lead me to the next question, which is about the personalized learning experience, mm-hmm. because 
We've been talking about it for many, many years. Mm. I started my journey with yeah. WISE 10 years ago. Yeah. We're, oh, we're, we're, we're at the beginning of personalized learning, but we never really achieve it. And potentially now we are at a point where, oh, okay, you know what? I think this technology is going to allow the personalized yeah. learning experience. I'm seeing, and it's, it's been great for me to take a step back and see that actually personalized learning as a field has gone like this. Massive expansion. Because it's changed, the definition of what I w we'd call personalized learning today has changed. The reason I think it failed for so many years, and the reason why Brism was one of the early players to start to see success and traction with personalized learning, was two things. Mm. One was that we were not relying on the fixed structures that everybody else was. So I think people tried to apply personalized learning to traditional learning structures, mm. and they're caught in the trap. If I've got to do things in this kind of table of contents, I'm already tied up. Yeah. I'm tied up. Yeah. Abrism said, forget the structure. Let's look at the data. Let's look at content as data. Let's look at what you're trying to achieve and create new structures. And that allowed us to completely change. Are, are we going to have the policy following? Are we going to have a different type of accreditation or certification? Is it going to be obsolete? Because oh, right now, you still have a big chunk of the population trying to get certification because it's very much linked to the job market, right? Yeah. But how... how I don't think, think certification is a bad thing, actually. Mm. I think you can have different types of certification. They can mean different things at different times. And there's an opportunity there to have, you know, proof points along the way. So I, I, I'm not against certification, but let's break things down from... if Instead of having one thing that says geography yeah. on it, what about all of the components... And all of the concepts that build up that, let's measure all of those. Certify all of them if you want, one yeah. by one, or combinations of them. There's a lot of cool things that can be done there. So personalized learning is now, to me, meaning different things. So if you think about what Sam Altman and, and they're doing with ChatGPT, that's an aspect. Yeah. Of, that's an aspect, but one aspect of yeah. personalized learning, where you might have com you know be more conversational with some of this technology, again, done in the right way for the right reasons. Personalized learning is now... A much bigger field mm. and there's different ways of addressing it mm. it only comes back to what's valuable to the humans yeah uh, which bits can you deliver where can you deliver novel value yeah. or useful value yeah. to to human operators yeah. to, to people and as long as you can do that then you've got an opportunity to do something good looking ahead now what are the future plan and goals for abrisium are there any upcoming initiative or project that you'd like to share to the listeners I think we've had a really great discussion of some of these key headline points. For us in the future, we're going to keep growing and developing and we're going to keep inventing and trying to deliver value. We're super excited about what we're doing for our customers and, and you know, being able to show, being able to be valuable, trusted transformation partner mm. for our clients is crucial to us. Mm. We've always been committed to delivering and we always will be. Mm. And the future for us looks, in uh, there's similarities to our past in that, We'll keep looking at these tools, inventing, creating, and then bringing it back to our essence, which is how do we be better at measuring yeah. and proving and then, you know, demonstrating with data. I think we've got our niche in the market, which we enjoy, um, and we want to keep that going and keep growing the company for years to come. And the world is yours. You're growing fast. You've been adding many members of the team. You obviously are a very nice fundraising yeah. round. Yeah. And you're going global, basically. Yeah, we are expanding. We're opening up new markets. Yeah. Um, and we're very excited about that. Um, 
long way it continue we're fortunate to work with we bring in many fantastic new colleagues who have experiences from lots of different sectors we like to be a melting pot yeah. of different experiences from across industry academia creatives business people finance people you name it a really great melting pot and benefiting from all the different yeah. diversity that we have within abrism intellectually and otherwise it's been as you know a fantastic pleasure to follow your work since 20 17 2018 and i'm more excited about what the future is so i do wish you a lot of success and we are privileged to have friends like you at wise likewise it's been such an honor and a privilege to work with wise over the years and it's been just beyond imagination in the level of support and encouragement we really felt encouraged and looked after across this journey so thanks to you it's a pleasure